Happy Sabbath, everyone. It's a privilege and an honor to stand before you again today with the awesome mission of preaching God's word. I'm grateful to be back here at the Downers Grove Seventh-day Adventist Church. And even though today is the last day of the year and the last Sabbath of the year, today is also a day of firsts because this is my very first sermon as a married man. <laughs> About three weeks ago, Monique and I my now wife uh, got married on December 11th, and I'm just grateful uh, for our marriage and uh, just a few, the first few weeks of our marriage, and I look forward to many more years, and I'm grateful that God has brought all of us through another year. And so this morning, I invite you to pray with me as I speak from the topic, The Bulletproof Christian, Six Principles for Spiritual Toughness from the word of God, the bulletproof Christian. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you have brought us all through another year. God, we thank you for seeing fit to bring us into this place on this morning, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I ask as we open your word that you may speak to our hearts and minds through your Holy Spirit. May you minister to us, God. May you hide me behind the cross. Let not my words be heard, but let your words be heard on today. And may you receive all the praise, honor, and glory for everything that takes place on today. For we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 Now, I want to let you know right off the bat that this sermon is a little bit different from the typical sermon that I preach. Normally, my inspiration for my sermons comes directly from the Word of God. I'm reading a passage, and God shows me some insights into that passage, and then I have a sermon. I develop a sermon from Scripture. However, this sermon is different because it began while I was aimlessly scrolling down Facebook, as many of us often do. I was aimlessly scrolling down Facebook, and I saw this article that one of my friends had posted, and, and the title of this article caught my attention. So naturally, I clicked on the article. As you can see, it's called Bulletproof Mind, Six Secrets of Mental Toughness from the Navy SEALs. It's an article written by a, a gentleman, a blogger uh, named Charles Chu. And as I was reading this article, it, it, it was all just so interesting to me. And the, the question kind of popped in my mind what spiritual lessons can I learn from a successful Navy SEAL? And as this, this blogger was presenting what it takes to be a successful Navy SEAL, and in particular, what it takes to be a mentally tough Navy SEAL, I began to see some principles, and, and these principles became today's message. Isn't it funny how God works? And so right off the bat in this article, uh, Chu, he has this misconception that in order to be a successful Navy SEAL, that you need to be strong enough. You need to be physically fit enough. You need to be athletic enough. But as he's doing some research, he finds out that that's not the case. He quotes this successful Navy SEAL. His name is Brandon Webb. And in fact, Brandon Webb has trained other Navy SEALs. He's trained other snipers who have gone on to be successful. And taking from one of his quotes, he says that it's not about the physical fitness, 
but it's about the mental toughness. He says, what SEAL training really tests is your mental metal. Your mental what? Metal, not like steel or iron or copper or bronze or a metal like that, but your mental makeup, what you're made of mentally. And he says, it is designed to push you mentally to the brink over and over again until you are hardened and able to take on any task with confidence, regardless of the odds, or until you break. As many of us know, in order to be a Navy SEAL or any branch of the Army for that matter, it, it requires tough physical training. There are some requirements that you need to meet, and this training is not easy. But it's not about how physically fit you are, but actually how mentally tough you are. And as you can imagine, being mentally tough is something that's very practical for us in every aspect of our lives. After all, don't we face challenges at our jobs? Don't we have to deal with difficult people sometimes? Even in our own families, don't we face challenges that, that require some mental toughness in order to press through? And I realize that mental toughness is also true of our Christian lives. It's something that we need in our own Christian journey. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 3, Paul says, speaking to Timothy, you must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus. We're reminded of this fact that Paul often compares the Christian and, and the Christian journey to a soldier in spiritual warfare. And I like the way he says, he, he expresses this in the, the very verses that we read in our scripture reading, 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 57 through 58. Paul says here, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad this morning because even though we're in the midst of this spiritual war, we already have the victory, amen? In the context of this victory, because Jesus has overcome and because through him we have victory, Paul continues and he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What does Paul mean when he says be steadfast, immovable? Now, it would be pretty ridiculous if Paul meant that we're supposed to be stationary. We're supposed to stand in the same spot. That would be ridiculous. No, what Paul is saying here is be steadfast and be immovable in terms of your purpose, in terms of your commitment, in terms of your faith. You are to be steadfast and immovable. You are not supposed to allow anything to shake you. Be steadfast, immovable as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so as I begin reflecting on this aspect of spiritual toughness that we see in Scripture, I began to see that in this article that I was reading, there were spiritual lessons that show us how we can be spiritually tough. Amen? And so this sermon is going to show us some principles that we can apply to our own lives that will show us how we can be spiritually tough. The first technique that's presented in the article is eat the elephant. Now, I know what you're wondering. What in the world does it mean to eat the elephant? In fact, many of us are vegetarians, so we're like, no, I don't have any business eating elephants whatsoever. Or maybe like this caveman in the picture, you're thinking to yourself, this is impossible. To eat an elephant is impossible. 
Well, let me explain what I mean by eating the elephant. And in fact, directly from the article, uh, Chu says, how do you eat an elephant? Well, just like you eat a slice of cake or anything else on your plate, one bite at a time. And he says this because, in other words, do not focus on the challenge as a whole. Break the challenge down into smaller parts and then tackle it one step at a time. Now, this technique that he's presenting should not be foreign to us as Christians because the Bible teaches us the principle of living life one day at a time. This is in the Old Testament. This is in the New Testament as well. Think about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Now, did God command Joshua to tell the people to march 13 times around the city of Jericho all in one day? No. He said, march around the city one time per day, and then on the seventh day, march seven times. And I believe that he did this so that the people would learn to take their journey one day at a time. Jesus also speaks to this, this principle in Matthew 6 and verse 34, where he says, therefore, do not worry about what? Tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, Jesus is not saying disregard the future completely. He's not saying that we don't plan. But when we begin to worry and when we begin to look at the, the, the task that lies ahead and it begins to discourage us, that's where worry becomes a problem. We are called to trust in God for today and to take our Christian experience one day at a time. One way that we can make this practical, church, is by setting SMART goals. How many of us have ever heard of SMART goals? Well, I'm giving you some homework. I see some of us have raised our hands, others haven't. When you go home after Sabbath or early in the new year, I would encourage you to look up what a SMART goal is. Basically, it's a way of goal setting, and it is specific, it's measurable, and some other things. And what you do is you set long-term goals and short-term goals. And your short-term goals should help you to reach your long-term goals. But the key here is to live life one day at a time. If you're still with me, say amen. 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 We're going on to our second technique that was presented in this article by Chu. And that technique is to visualize success. Visualize success. Now, pictured here is a, a Navy SEAL, and as you can see, he's aiming at something. And as a successful Navy SEAL, if you're aiming at something, you're looking to hit that target. You don't aim at something and try to miss. That just doesn't make sense. The Navy SEAL's one goal, if he's shooting, is to hit whatever he's shooting at. And so the Navy SEAL visualizes success. He pictures himself hitting this mark, and then he tries to achieve that mark. Now, in this article as well, uh, Chu mentions this study done with basketball players uh, regarding their free, pro free throw percentage. And he says, in a certain study, Basketball players improve their free throw accuracy by 23% just from visualizing their free throws. Now, get this. Players who practice actual free throws improve by 24%. That's just a 1% difference. So just by these basketball players imagining that as they're shooting the ball that it's going to go through the basket, they improved their free throw percentage almost as much as those that actually took time out of their schedules to practice extra free throws. 
There's power in visualizing success. And you see, your focus, it largely determines the outcome of your actions. If you're focused on failing, you're more likely to fail, right? But if you're focused on succeeding, if you're focused on reaching whatever goal you've set, then you're more likely to reach that goal. Again, this is a concept that we should not be uh, unfamiliar of because the Bible presents this principle of keeping our eyes on the prize, visualizing success by keeping our eyes on the prize. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 13 through 14, verses that we're familiar with, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. So is Paul looking at those things that are behind him? Yes or no? No. Is Paul looking at the, the challenges that are happening in his own life right now? Yes or no? No. And Paul went through challenges. He was beaten many times. He, he faced hardships as he was preaching the gospel. He's not focused on those things. He says, I'm pressing forward and my eyes are on the prize. And what was the prize? His heavenly citizenship and Jesus Christ himself. Jesus also knew how to keep his eyes on the prize. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, the Bible says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So why did Jesus endure the cross? It was for the joy that was set before him. Jesus was not focused on people beating him. He wasn't focused on people mistreating him. Jesus was focused on the joy that was set before him. And that joy, church, was you and I. Jesus had us in mind as he was going through what he was going through. And because he wanted souls saved into his kingdom, he endured the pain of the cross. We've got to learn to keep our eyes on the prize. I like the way that Ellen G. White says it in Christ's Object Lessons in page 146. She says, by looking at appearances, looking at what? Looking at appearances and complaining when difficulties and pressure come, you give evidence of a sickly and feeble faith. Talk and act as if your faith were invincible. The Lord is rich in resources. He owns the world. Look heavenward in faith. Look to him who has light and power and efficiency. So even Ellen G. White catches on to this concept of visualizing success. She's saying, don't look at the challenges around you. Don't look at the way things appear, but look heavenward in faith. The question that we all have to ask ourselves this morning is where is our focus? Is our focus on the things of this world? Is our focus on the challenges in our lives? Or are we focusing on Jesus? And are we focusing on success? We're moving on. Our, our third technique that we find as we read this article is emotional control. Emotional control. Now, as I mentioned before, Navy SEAL training is very difficult. And it pushes you to your mental and emotional and physical limits. And as you're being pushed to your limits, you may be tempted to give up. You may be tempted to lose control. And so, what the author suggests 
or what he says that uh, they suggest for Navy SEALs in training to do is to practice this four by four for four principle, which is simply this. First, you breathe in for four seconds. Then you breathe out for four seconds. And you repeat this for four minutes. And by just simply taking some time to breathe in and to breathe out, you're able to calm yourself down and you're able to refocus and you're able to remind yourself of why you're going through this. You're able to regain the strength that you need in order to continue with the training. Now, as I thought about this one and, and the spiritual principle, I had to be a little bit creative. And so the principle is to breathe a prayer. To breathe a prayer. I like the way Ellen G. White says it. She says, prayer is the breath of the soul. It is the secret of spiritual power. No other means of grace can be substituted and the health of the soul be preserved. Prayer brings the heart into immediate contact with the wellspring of life and strengthens the sinew and muscle of the religious experience. And she goes on to say, if you pray sporadically, if you pray only when you think you need to, that you're in trouble. You can read the rest of the quote on your own, uh, Messages to Young People, page 249, but this speaks to the importance of prayer. She says in Steps to Christ, page 99, let the soul be drawn out and upward, that God may grant us a breath of the heavenly atmosphere. We may keep so near to God that in every unexpected trial, our thoughts will turn to him as naturally as a flower turns to the sun. Now, I don't know about you. I'm being vulnerable here, but there were some times in 2016 where some unexpected trials happened in my life, and I did not default to prayer. And I'm sure that that's happened in perhaps all of our lives, times where things just happen, life happens, and the first thing you do is complain. The first thing you do is, is, is rely on your own wisdom to solve the problem. But what if, church, we got to a place where as soon as something bad happens, our gut reaction is to pray? What if we got to that point? I believe that God wants to take us there in 2017. And it's my personal prayer that I will get to that point where no matter what happens, my first reaction is to pray. And so we see the importance of prayer and first Thessalonians 5 verse 17 is very clear pray without ceasing as long as there's breath in us we ought to breathe a prayer and I want to encourage us as we go through life in 2017 and even for the rest of today that if you face a challenge don't push through it pray through it don't push through it but pray through it so many times we're encouraged to just push through, just be strong and to hold on. But what if we learn to pray through it? How much more would God be able to help us as we go through this life? We're moving along to technique number four. In this article, technique number four is small victories. And I like the way that the author um, kind of presents this one. He says that uh, you should appreciate the small victories in life. Let's say that everything bad happens to you. Try to find something that you can be thankful for. And the author, he actually gives a personal example. And, and one of his uh, things that he was thankful for was spice lattes. I thought that was pretty ridiculous. That's just me, though. I'm not a coffee person. 
But it doesn't matter how insignificant the thing is. The key is to count your small victories and, and to have an attitude of gratitude. I like the way Arnold Schwarzenegger put it. Hopefully none of us are uh, stumbling over his muscles. <laughs> Anyhow, just focus on the quote. He says, look for small victories and build on that. Each small victory, even if it is just getting up five minutes earlier, gives you confidence. You realize that these little victories make you feel great, and you keep going. You realize that being paralyzed by fear of failure is worse than failure. And this brings us to our fourth principle, which I kind of already gave away, but it's to have an attitude of gratitude. The Bible says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. And I find it interesting, church, that we, we looked at this idea of, of breathing a prayer and praying without ceasing. And, and right there in the same sentence is in everything give thanks. Which tells me, church, that prayer and praise go hand in hand. And I would submit to you this morning, I would suggest that if we're praying without praising, then we just might be complaining. Sometimes we go on in our, our prayer closets and we're just telling God about all of our problems and what he did and what she said. But we need to stop and give God thanks. There's always something to be thankful for. And even if you can't find something to be thankful for, ask God to show you and he will most definitely show you. The simple fact that you're alive, the, the simple fact that you even have the presence of mind to pray, that is something that you ought to thank God for. Not everyone is alive. Not everyone has the presence of mind to pray. And so we need to have an attitude of gratitude. I saw this article again on Facebook. As you can tell, I, I probably spend a little bit more time on Facebook than I need to. And I'm not going to go into too much detail about this article. But as you can see, it's called How Complaining Rewires Your Brain for Negativity. And the point of this article was basically saying that when you complain and when you make that a habit, it gives way for more complaining. And then you become even more negative and it's just like digging this ditch. And it presents some solutions on how you can avoid complaining and, and think about how to solve the problem instead of just complaining about it. But I'll leave that to you. Uh, to look up on your own time as well. More homework for you, amen? I like the way that Habakkuk puts it in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 18. He says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now, some of us didn't catch this because we don't have fig trees in our backyard and we don't have herds that we need to take care of. But think about it like this. Habakkuk is saying, even if my livelihood is gone, even if my food is gone, even if my clothing, all of my sustenance, I will rejoice in the Lord. He's making a conscious decision. And what we need to realize, church, is that having an attitude of gratitude is a decision that we make. 
just like it's a decision to complain. And I pray that God will help us to decide that no matter what happens, we are going to give him praise, honor, and glory for something in our lives. Amen? Amen. And so that's technique and principle number four. Now, the fifth technique is finding your tribe and necessity. And so I'm, I'm going to explain a little bit what this one means uh, in the article, the author is saying, basically, you need to find a set of people. You need to find a group of people who share similar values and goals as you. And this is helpful for the Navy SEAL in training because, again, they're going through all of these tough challenges, and you need someone to encourage you and to come along your side and help you up when you're down. He cites this quote from another author, uh, Sebastian Junger, and this is from his book, Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging. And Junger says, humans don't mind hardship. In fact, they thrive on it. What they mind is not feeling necessary. Modern society has perfected the art of making people not feel necessary. It's time for that to change. Now, we can pretty easily come up with some examples in our society in which we see this, this truth that people are not necessary or other people believe that others aren't necessary. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that social media, even Facebook, is, a, is evidence of this belief that people don't feel necessary. I, I mean, I don't know who this is, but I've never had 45 friend requests a day in my life. I'm just not that popular. Now, when Monique and I got married, there were a lot of notifications on Facebook, but I think most of those were due to her friends and not mine, so still not popular. But catch this. Facebook is all about how many friends you have. Some people pride themselves on the fact that they have thousands of friends. But let me ask you, how many of those people are you actually friends with? Are you just accepting their friend request to make yourself feel better about yourself? Do you actually foster relationships with that person? And in this sense, social media can be dangerous because we, through social media, can make people feel like they're not necessary. Some of us may have had the experience of uh, connecting with someone online, whether it's on Facebook or another social media site, and then you talk to the person in person, and they act like you don't, they don't know you. Has that ever happened to anyone? Am I talking to myself? It's happened to some of us. But see, this is all a symptom of this problem in society of making people feel like they aren't necessary. And this is not God's desire for his people. In fact, the principle that we find in Scripture is to find community authentic community in the body of Christ. Amen? We're familiar with Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, which tells us that we should not forsake the assembling of the brethren, uh, but uh, we should exhort one another. In other words, encourage one another. Do you realize that in the body of Christ, you can find encouragement for whatever you're going through? At least you should be able to find encouragement. And we need to make sure that as a church, as the body of Christ, that we are a place where people feel safe sharing their struggles and gaining encouragement through whatever they may be going through. 
I always said to myself, whenever I become the pastor of a church, that it will be a place where someone can come off the street, it doesn't matter what they look like, what clothes they're wearing, and they will feel welcome in that place. Think about visitors who may be coming in for the first time. We should make them feel welcome. Amen? And I believe that the body of Christ is the solution to this problem in society of people feeling uncared for and like they aren't necessary. We have an awesome opportunity to welcome people in and to make them feel loved through the love of Christ. Also, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26 says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And so we should be sensitive to the needs of others. And I believe that, again, this is what God has called us to as a community in the body of Christ. And we can uh, gain the spiritual toughness that we need within this community. Now, we're coming to the close of our message. We're down to the last technique. And this is my personal favorite. In the article, Chu puts forward this technique of non-reactivity. Now, James Bond is pictured right here. And I don't know how many of you have seen the James Bond movies, but it seems like James Bond never has a smile on his face. He's always serious, but he's also always cool, calm, and collected. Someone could kick in his door and, and threaten to shoot him. He's ready. He's good to go. You can't fluster this man. And this is what the author is talking about when he speaks of non-reactivity. He says, we have more control than we think. We can't control what happens in our outside world, but we can control our interpretation of it. So many times in Navy SEAL training, the, the, the person will be commanded to do, say, a thousand push-ups, some ridiculous task. And that person can choose how to interpret that. Either they can say, oh, th this commander doesn't want me there, or they can say, huh, well, they're commanding me to do it, so they must believe in me, so I'm going to try my best. Let me explain this another way. This past week, on the day after Christmas, my wife and I went to visit my aunt in Detroit. And we went to the Detroit Arts Institute. And I'm not a big arts person, I'm going to be honest. Um, I got a bad grade in art when I was younger, and that, that's just made me bitter toward art ever since. <laughs> it's not my cup of tea. But it was something to do in the area, and so I went along. And I just felt like, even though it wasn't my thing, there was something that maybe I could learn from being there. And so we're walking through the exhibits and the art pieces, and we walked out of one room and we came to this art piece. And as we approached it, my aunt asked me, Rodney, what does this look like to you? I took one look at it, and I'm like, it looks like someone's laundry. <laughs> it looks like some rags on a string. I really don't know what's going on here. But upon further inspection, I learned a little bit more about this art piece. This is the, the perspective from right below the art piece. It was hanging on the ceiling, as you could see. And so I was standing right below the art piece, and, and this is the view. It still doesn't really make sense to me, but okay. But there was a, a sign that explained what this art piece was about. 
Uh, it's actually called Talasa. Uh, I think that's the name of a Greek god. But the premise behind this artwork was someone was inspired by the tragedy that took place in Hurricane Katrina, how many people lost their families and homes. And uh, the art piece was actually dedicated toward finding healing and, and finding uh, triumph in the midst of tragedy. Now, now that's a whole other sermon that we could preach another time. But as I began to learn about it, I began to appreciate this art piece more. And then my aunt asked me a question that really threw me for a loop. She said, Rodney, did you know that it has a face? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah, the, the art piece has a face. If you just walk up the stairs there, then you'll be able to see his face. And so I'm, I'm still confused. I'm like, I, I have no idea what she's talking about, but hey, I'll give it a shot. And sure enough, church, as I walked up the stairs, I was able to see the face of this artwork. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I still, uh, it, I, I didn't fall in love with this art piece, but I began to appreciate it a lot more because I was looking at it from a different what? Perspective. You see, some of us are going through some mess in our lives. Some of us are dealing with some mess in our lives, and, and we can't seem to make sense of it. It looks like our, our, as we're going through these trials and we're wondering where God is and we're wondering what he's doing, it looks like complete junk. It looks like something crazy, like rags on a, on a string. We can't make sense of it. But I believe, church, that if we would just walk up the stairs of faith and begin to see things as God sees them, that we would begin to appreciate what we call trials. We would begin to see that there are blessings in disguise. We interpret them as trials because we're looking at it from the wrong vantage point. We see this principle all the time in Scripture. And just one verse of understanding the power of perspective comes from Romans 8, verse 28, which says, and we know that all things... All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. In other words, church, God can bring good out of any situation. Amen. God can bring good out of any situation. It doesn't matter how it looks to us, but sometimes we just need to ask God, God, what are you trying to teach me? What, what are you trying to show me as I'm going through this mess? And I believe that when you pray sincerely, God will show you in his own time and own way. But we need to know without a shadow of a doubt that God can bring good out of any situation. I'm glad that that's the truth this morning. I'm glad that as I'm maneuvering through this life and, and sometimes getting lost along the way, that God knows how to bring good out of any situation. And so we need to understand this principle of the power of perspective and ask God to show us his perspective, the perspective of faith. And so we've gone through all of the techniques that this article has presented. Just to review, the six principles that we learned were to live life one day at a time, to keep our eyes on the prize, to breathe a prayer, to have an attitude of gratitude, to find community in the body of Christ, and lastly, to understand the power of perspective.
And so as we come to a close this morning, I want to ask you the question, will you be bulletproof in 2017? I want to be bulletproof in 2017. I want to be a bulletproof Christian because I, I just know that the enemy is going to try to take some shots at me. But I also know that God is greater than the enemy and that he can help me. He can help all of us to have the spiritual toughness that we need to face whatever it is that 2017 brings. At this time, your, your, your head is bowed and your eyes are closed. And I, I just want to make an appeal for that person who is reflecting on their journey in 2016. And maybe you realize that you did not live up to the standard. Maybe you realize that you weren't steadfast, you weren't immovable. There were some things that shook you up and caused your faith to fail. But you want to recommit your life to God for 2017, and you're saying, God, help me to have the strength that I need. Help me to have the, the, the spiritual toughness that I need in order to endure as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that's you, I just want you to stand where you are. And I'm the first one to stand because I know without a shadow of a doubt, that God impressed me to preach this message with me in mind. I needed to hear this just as much, if not more, than every single person in this room. Praise God for your commitments that you've made through standing. I want to say a word of prayer for all of those who have stood, as well as those who have chosen to stay seated. God sees the commitments that you've made in your heart, and we just want to rededicate ourselves to God for 2017. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the fact that we've made it this far in this year. We're grateful, God, for the truth that we find in your word and the principles that we can learn. And God, I want to pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice that you will help us truly to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. So many times, God, the enemy will throw things in our path and it just uh, uh, causes us, God, to lose control. But help us, God, no matter what happens in our lives, to be committed to you, to be firm in that commitment. And ultimately, God, may you lead us all the way into your kingdom. God, please be with us our families, those that we love and care about. And we pray, God, that 2017 would be a year of great blessing, a year of great opportunity, and a year that, that is the best that we've ever had. We're, we're asking for that and we're claiming that in Jesus' name because we believe, God, that you are able to do it for us. And so, God, we thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. We love you, God, and we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. God, we're grateful again for everything that we have experienced on today. We're thankful that your Holy Spirit has come near to us and has touched us and blessed us. 
And we ask that as we go from this place, may your presence continue to go with us. And as we open the chapter of a new year, God, may you also go with us there as well. Thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. We love you, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen.